our DT systems, the Rap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way, but it's the Rap 1400. It's a collar that is super reliable, ready to rock, and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season. So it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation. Anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there, easy and accessible. Bingo, bango, bongo. If you don't want that one, check out the H. 201820. It's the DT Systems and it's dog tested, dog tough. Hashtag man's best kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the, the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide in the DMs. We'll hook you up. It's force fetch, baby. It's the number one question we get asked. You don't know how to fix it? Let me help you. Let me get you to your goals. We built a course bunch of videos. I think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully. The link's in the description. Be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog. What's up, everybody? It's Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles, episode 24. Kevin is here, and we also have our new buddy, Jared Moss, from Best Gun Dogs. He is out there in mountain time, so we're here a little <laughs> bit later than normal. Uh, Jared, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, no doubt about it. Jared, do me a favor. Um, tell everybody who listens to the podcast a little bit about you. Sure. Um, we live out here in a small town, basically about three hours north of Vegas and three hours south of Salt Lake. So we're in southern Utah. And uh, we, we train and breed full time. Um, I've been training bird dogs, mostly upland dogs is what we focus on. We've been training for for 20 to 22 years this summer so we've been training for a while and then we ultimately started breeding about i think we started breeding in 2011 end of 2011 um just because we kind of got tired of training everybody's we, we had a scenario where a gentleman would bring us a dog and say hey uh will you train this dog for the field my wife and kids are in love with it we would take it out in the field and it just wouldn't have all the tools that it needed to be a complete dog in the field and so you know one retrieve or some of them went point or some of them didn't have the intelligence there to even do anything so we still we got tired of this and we started breeding the quality animals so that our clients wouldn't have that issue anymore they could you know have a, a dog that would sit by the fire on friday night and then go hunt on saturday morning 
Very good, man. Very good. So what is your breed specialty at your kennel? Yeah, right now uh, we, we focus mostly on German Schoenard pointers. We also do have a handful of American Britneys that we breed. So I think there's, I think we have five Britney females in a, in a stud, two studs. And then we have about 20 German Schoenard pointers that we're either evaluating or breeding or bringing it up to, to continue forward. Very cool. All right. I want, before we jump in further, I have a question. Yeah. What's the difference between an American Brittany, a French Brittany? I thought they were just now supposed to be called Brittany's. I'm not they, super fluid in that, so maybe break it down for me. I, I think they probably are. I think the general, as the general public knows them, it's kind of a, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to articulate that for you, but I, I have a, I have a habit of saying American Brittany because a lot of people will get the two confused between a French and American biggest difference is size and, uh, and genetics, big time, big time genetic difference. So talk to me about the genetic difference. Uh, American Britons are, are, there's obviously the dogs have been bred for the show ring, um, but also for the field, um, field trial type dogs. And then French Britneys were, are quite a bit smaller. I would say a big French is like 30 pounds. Wow. And so they're, I'm not. I'm not as well versed on the French Britney side. Um, we've trained a bunch of them, and there's a handful of nice dogs out there. But I, I am not up to speed on what is going on with the French side. Very cool. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm. I'm just gonna keep getting right into the the deep yeah, and thick man. stuff. So you you were saying you had twenty short hairs. And right. you're evaluating them for your breeding program. Can you describe Correct. what's going to have a dog kind of pass your standards and get bred and carry on the lines? And what would make a dog, you know, maybe not pass and you rehome it or sell it or yeah. whatever? Great, great question, man. Um, if you go back in our story about when we first started breeding, we kind of got, we got in the truck, we got in the airplane, and we flew across the country, drove across the country, went to all these major kennels, and we're trying to handpick dogs um, that could, like I said, really be a companion, a companion hunting dog. So we built our kennel on that. Ten years ago, if you come to my kennel, we'd have had uh, what we called like a 90-10 dog. You know, they wanted to be with you 10% of the time. The other 90% of the time, they just wanted to be screaming and burning and just, just out covering country. And they just didn't really have an off switch. And so you would bring that type of dog into a family scenario and it would just be a disaster. Um, and so when we started looking at the other breeders and other programs and saying they were really looking for a true dog that can come in your home and live in your kid's bedroom and be his buddy and then still go out in the field and have the abilities, all the natural abilities he needed. So he would naturally point, naturally retrieve, um, have some honoring capabilities in there and intelligence was huge. Gotcha. So carrying that, we carry that forward to where we're at today. I think, you know, we're, we're evaluating, uh, females and males in the field. And a lot of it is from a breeding standpoint, we're looking at the natural ability of that dog, not what a trainer can mold him into being. And so that makes a huge difference as far as, that's a well, really cool up. point. That's a really good point. Um, 
you know. Yeah, I mean, we, we literally bought dogs across the country, right? They were field champions, and he would go out and work that dog in the field, and he was a rock star. And then he would bring you back to your kennel, and you would breed a litter of puppies and sift through those puppies, and you're like, why Why did none of these dogs want to retrieve? Like, they point like a million bucks, but they don't have any instinct for retrieving. And then you get back and dig and dig and dig, and you find out that the guy that put the FC title on that dog actually had to force fetch the heck out of him to get him to finish that title. And it's like, oh crap, I didn't want, <laughs> I didn't want that. So, um, if you if you do some research about us, Henry is from Top Gun Kennels from Steve Reese, and he was kind of the foundation for our companion hunting dog. And when I was able to pick up Henry, what was really, really cool is I got to see Henry work, but I got to see three of his offspring work as well. Yeah, that's and huge. They, yeah, and so I got to see those three, like a one-year-old, a two-year-old, and like an eight-month-old pup. I got to hunt behind all those dogs. And for lack of a better term, the guys that handled them didn't know crap. And so I saw, I saw a raw, raw dog that went out there and produced game, and I'm like, ah, Finally, you know, finally, a dog that's really, really nice, but he outproduces himself. And from a breeder standpoint, that's like, that's gold. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, we finally got a dog that's really, really nice, but look, he even produces better than he is. And to find that for a breeding program was everything. Yeah, no doubt about it. Is he your leading stud? Yeah, so we we got Henry. Uh, Henry came in, I want to say, six, seven years ago. And we've based oh, most of our breeding program is a uh, is a human hustler bloodline crossed on a Nomar bloodline with some Dixieland Rusty and a little bit of some other dogs in there. Some line breeding mostly on those three lines, kind of crossing them. So we brought Henry in, and we brought um, a dog named Tank in, and Tank was a heavy Nomar's or uh, sorry, a heavy Navda bred dog. And then uh, we brought in the Nomar's dog. Anyway, we've taken those three lines, crossed them all up, and we're line breeding on those three lines that are guys that have been breeding for 20, 30, I mean, 50, 60 years of breeding. So it's like we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. We just wanted to go across the country and say, hey, man, you say you have this. Let's see it. Show it to us, please. You know, share it with us. And then we were able to build on their program, which obviously accelerated everything that we were doing by decades. Good for you. Uh, You know, for our community who listen to the podcast, they may not understand what a line breeding is. Can you give them a little bit of a rundown on what that would look like? Um, Yeah. I think one of the things that you would look for in a a pedigree is for example, uh, if you looked up Tommy on our, on our website, Tommy is, um, He's bred out of Henry, and Henry goes back to the Hillhaven Hustler bloodline. So if you went back three generations from Tommy, you would be able to see Hillhaven Hustler. If you were able to find Hustler multiple times in, say, a female, another female that we cross him on, then uh, when you take that female that also has Hustler probably in the first two or three generations, hopefully on top um, if you can get to where you have the same bloodline running on top and on bottom, not Bob, Bob Willie put it this way. Uh, I think niece to uncle was his favorite cross. And so your, your line breeding does two things. 
it amplifies the good and the bad. Gotcha. And when and when you line breed for a multiple multiple decades, you're able to you're able to predict what you're going to get. And the, and so without getting too adept in genetics, it's like, hey, if I take this dog and cross it on that dog, both of which have been bred extensively on one or two lines. I have a 99 really, you know, a high percentage chance of having a dog turn out to be the same as, as mom and dad or grandma and grandpa. Sure. What you're actually looking for. Yeah. So it, it, uh, hedges the bet in your, in your favor big time. That's really Without true. it, you're, if you're crossing just, if you're out crossing this and out crossing that, you're just shaking the dice and hoping you, you just don't know. So when you, Look at the pups in our kennel right now who are line bred on a hustler, meaning they have multiple, multiple dogs that are out of the hustler line and multiple dogs out of a Nomar's line. And you take those two lines and you crash them together. You're going to get something magical. That's fantastic. Now, so I'm going to kind of deep dive or not even deep dive. I don't know the word. I don't want to offend you. And no. I don't, I don't want to offend anybody in my industry. I'm, I try and play the even keel, keep my opinion to myself, um, <laughs> because, because I think a great dog is a great dog, and and you know everybody's dog is great. Like if you love your dog and it's a two hundred dollar puppy out of the pound and it won't get in the water, but it's a great goose dog, then that's a great right. dog for you. Um, right. So. One of the things in our industry with the retrievers is this on-off switch, and that's yeah. what you're talking about. And I'm I'm a big proponent of it. I mean, I want a dog sure. that's going to be great in the house, great with kids, great with other dogs, chill right. out, chill out. But I I really don't like pigs in the field. I like a dog that's got grit and determination and hard driving and nothing stands in their way and sometimes people in the retriever world have gone too far in the uh easy going house dog ways and and their dogs you know tiptoe into the water and and i can't stand that i i want hard driving if you could describe your dogs would i mean really that perfect on and off switch is a machine in the field and then chill What, what do you think in a critical way of your own? Like, what do you think? So I'll, I'll give you my, um, we, we've actually found this where when we have bred too much hustler, so we want a true 50-50 dog is, is kind of the term that we try to use just to make it simple, right? And so when I say 50, I, 50, I mean he's just as good in the field as he is in the home. And, and we're not giving up like you're saying that drive that instinct that hunt yeah and so we found if uh right now i'm actually bringing a dixieland dog back into our hustler and nomar's bloodline because we're losing a little bit of fire gotcha and so i it's a balancing act there's really no doubt that if you if you water down water down water down you're gonna end up having a companion right right and then and then the one thing that I was able to pull out of uh, Steve Reese, for example, Steve has a huge knowledge on breeding. And the one thing I really liked about Steve was we were comparing pedigrees and looking at all this stuff on paper. And he said, hey, 
there's one thing you need to remember when you start breeding heavy, you know, as a, for a living is uh, kind of back to what you just said, a great dog is a great dog. He said, he told me, he says, one day I was driving down the road and this guy passed me at the short hair and I was like, man, that was a good looking son of a gun. He says, I chased him down to the local bar and we had a couple of drinks and I said, man, where, where is it? Uh, you know, when are you going to go hunting? I'd like to hunt behind that dog. I ended up hunting behind the dog. The dog didn't have any titles, right? There was no, there was nothing special about that dog's pedigree, but that dog had it. Yep. And so Steve's like, Hey, don't be afraid to pull your blinders off. Don't get so caught up in my dog's got to have a master hunt title and a national and a field and everything. And he says, don't, don't forget that there are some great dogs out there. Yeah, so he, he pulled, he grabbed that dog and pulled it into his breeding program that had no, no rhyme or reason to be there. But he said, Hey, don't, don't get so blinded by the paper that you've, you forget what makes a great dog and so no i think i try, to, really I try to remember that right yeah i think that's a really good point i mean i think the papers and and the the hunt tests and all that help guide us to stack the deck in our favor when we're looking at puppies and litters but you're right i mean right. the best dog actually ron bain says this all the time you know the best mm-hmm. dog has never been to a hunt test, has never been to a field trial. There's such a yeah. small community of us who do it that right. there's a, a national field champion that's somewhere in Arkansas hunting sloughs, <laughs> you know, and never seen a hunt test before, but it yeah, could have done never, it. Right. Could have so, done it in his sleep, right? Exactly. So when we were driving across the country, we were looking for those dogs as well. But, uh, you know, kind of back to your question, um, Bob about fire and, and companionship. It's, it's a balancing act. And I will tell you, I prefer personally, my own personal dogs. I prefer a little more fire. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then I have a guy that calls me and says, Hey, I'm going to hunt 10 times a year. I need, I need more of the companionship. Cool. Inside of this litter, there's probably a pup that's just going to be a little less drive, you know, just a little less. Yep. So, yeah. No, I think that's you know the balancing act, and I'm not I'm not a breeder, right? I've had one litter. We're building right. a program. I've bought and sold some dogs that weren't going to cut it, um, right. for what I wanted to produce for people, and so I'm learning this as I go. But what we've done that first litter, they're four months old, and you know. So far, so good. I mean, they they're yeah. great with the kids. You know, they they love to swim. They pick up now. They're picking up full size mallards and looking like they're big dogs. And awesome. I'm really proud of that. But I, we could have made a mistake. You know, we could have done something, and we could have had the opposite effect of what we all strive for. And I think your insight is is key. I listened to a podcast, uh, actually your guys' podcast, where you interviewed uh, Mr. Barton Ramsey from SOK. Yep. And you guys nailed it right on the head when you said you pick the litter. You pick the genetics, you pick the program, and you close your eyes and you grab a pup and you go. Because I've been trying to pick the litter, litter the best <laughs> the best pup out of the litter for the last eight years, and I've tried every test under the sun, and uh, inevitably – some guy in Arkansas or whatever 
California sends me a picture two years later and says, dude, we just went and had this great hunt. Here's my dog. And I'm like, son of a gun. (laughs) (laughs) I should have kept that one. Yeah. You know, it's just, it is, uh, pick the litter. Yeah. Now, Jared, I'm, I'm kind of curious if, if, uh, I'm, I'm hearing right. You've got 20, 20 dogs kind of trying to make the cut right now for correct. Yep for your uh, short hairs there what what does that look like for you um how often do you get to hunt each dog are they i gotta imagine they're not all in indoor pups if you got 20 of them that'd be a hell of a house yeah we but we um, haven't yeah i guess how do you kind of like score the 50 50 if if they're kind of cattle dogs too great question great question um part of that is based off of what they're producing and what their mom has produced and what their sire has produced and the dam has produced for 10 years, 20 years. So if I have a heavy no Mars bred dog, for example, and I breed that dog to another uh, hustler dog, I've been doing this long enough and I've been competing with those dogs long enough that I've got a real good idea of what they're going to do in the field. And then just reading their personality traits when I pull them up to my house, what they're in when they're, when they are with my kids, um, you know, just being able to evaluate, spending time, you got to spend time with them. Yeah. Can, can I hunt all 20 of them? Let's be realistic. That That is not true. Right? Yeah. I'm not going to be able to hunt all 20 in one season. It's just not going to happen. Um, I was unfortunately, say, if, when if you, you can hunt you 20 can, dogs like that, we'd be flying out to, to spend some time together. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. We, we have a trailer that we load up about 15 or 20 at a time, and we'll go to South Dakota and hunt for five or seven days. And every time we hunt a new slough or a new corn patch or a new sunflower patch, we pull out two or three fresh dogs and we rock and roll. So it's a lot of fun to rotate 15 dogs in a five-day period. You get a lot of fresh dogs and a lot of dog work. That's badass, man. That's really yeah, cool. It's, it's a lot of fun. Good for you. Do you have a place you go to regularly up there? Yeah, we've been to South Dakota, I think. Uh, I have four children, so barring barring we had one our little girl in the fall one year. Outside of that year, I think we've been there seven or eight years of straight. Um, we hunt up up to Notella Mountain, as what the guys around here say. But uh, it's mostly north central South Dakota by a little town called Isabel. Cool. That's where that's where we like to go. It's out in the middle of nowhere. There's nobody around, and it's there's some walking in walking access areas there. Um, and then there's obviously we've been out there enough times we have a few relationships with ranchers and farmers that allow us on their property and that's always a bonus. Good for you. Good for you. Um, well, I mean, I'm I'm excited to talk more about the breeding program and and your philosophies, but I think you know there's some other things about your business that is ran like a business and your marketing and your ideas. And I want to talk more about that too. Um, you're developing sure. a, I don't know, is it on YouTube or is it on your website where people can kind of have a how to build yeah, uh, a pointing dog? Great, great question. Uh, this year we have, so for the last um, eight years, our big focus has been adding the breeding into our training, right? So we've literally sent puppies all across the country. I have clients in every state. And so when those guys get that pup up to 10, 12, 14, you know, 16 weeks, they're calling me saying, hey, how do I do this or how do I do that? Or I jumped on YouTube and I saw this and I don't understand how to do it. And I, you know, for the last five years, it's been like, 
well, hey, get on the phone and I'll explain it to you. And then that ends up in sometimes getting to a two-hour conversation on the phone. And so it's like I've got to build a resource where I can send these gentlemen to and they can get a visual two-minute video clip of what I'm trying to explain. So we're in the process of building that, launching that, getting that out the door. You know, it came from the need of providing that uh, support to our, our current bird dog family clients. But I do feel like there is a big need um, for some type of online resource, similar to like Cornerstone has done. But we want to do that for the pointing dog side. So yeah, we're trying absolutely. to uh, educate ourselves on how to do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're, man. we're learning that. That's a whole new learning curve, right? Dude, I'm telling you, I, it's funny. You know, I, I almost made a comment earlier on, like, it's 9 o'clock. It was 9 o'clock here, and yeah. I hadn't eaten dinner yet. I had just finished dogs, and I'm hauling butt over here. And as I'm driving, I get a message from someone on Instagram. Hey, I, I love training dogs. I love training my dog. I want to be a pro. And I'm like, damn i i love it too but bro you're up at 5 30 in the morning and you're done when you're done and yeah. uh it, it's it's not just about training dogs it's about building a community it's about you know a marketing structure and you know there's so much more than just heel work and getting dogs on birds for us yeah, and I think you're really lucky to have a brother to bounce those ideas, those business ideas off of, um, you know, sounds like Kevin. From our short conversation out there at the Yukonuba event, you know, it's like, hey, how do we market this or how do we market that? And it's, uh, you got to have a marketing guy. You got to have, uh, yeah, it's, I, I tell my wife all the time, I had no idea that dog training was going to require so much photography equipment, so much internet savvy it's crazy so much marketing savvy it's not even a uh, when you break it down it's like i don't know it's crazy man it's i drug my feet on the social media side for five years because i was like i just don't want to learn it i just don't want to learn i don't want to learn how to do that i've got i got dogs to train right. but the bottom line is if you're not out there uh people can't find you so. absolutely well you just made kevin's head grow three times bigger, uh, well so. i was i didn't want to cut you off but i i think maybe we could talk about how you think bob should pay me more and maybe absolutely, some benefits or something man. i don't know we can we can work yeah out. i I, w- I think you need to hire him on full time and uh <laughs> yeah. he can have a 401k think- when i have a 401k <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's at the end of that shovel when you're scooping the kennels that's where yeah. your 401k <laughs> that's right i'll give you a 401k Yep. Oh, that's funny, man. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really impressed by what you've done. And, and I, there's a lot of people out there and I, I kind of grew my business, my business through social media. And then it turned into, well, I'm going to quit my sales job. And I went and worked for someone for almost a year and, you know, I honed my skills and hung up my shingle and, you know, been growing steadily and carefully since but the business side of actually being a dog trainer is very interesting and if you're not if you if you're ricky bobby if you ain't first you're last and (laughs) we're all doing the best we can to provide for our clients to provide for people on social media who are hungry to learn from people and learn from good people like the one thing i took away from you and what i see on your social media is there's no arrogance there's no bravado there's no facade. It's 
you as a, a human being and your cool dogs and teaching and having fun. Yeah. Yeah. It, it you know, I, I've, uh, the short of it is that the bird dog community is very small and in, in, the, in the whole scheme of things. And I really think we all should, uh, we should all work together to, to continue it. You know, I've, there's a big, one of my, one of my mentors is Dave Walker. And, um, there's a 30 year gap between me and Dave, you know, I think there's a, a generation that was skipped there somewhere where we have the, in, in the pointing dog world, we have the Smiths, we have Rick and Ronnie and all those guys. But outside of that, it was like, there, we just, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to see uh best gun dogs. And then the next, the next kennel is 30 years, 40 years behind. I does. Absolutely. I think we all need to help each other grow and, and, uh, and stick together just Absolutely. like a family. Absolutely. So I want to get into almost like a fast paced, fun questions sure. too. Um, I want to know about your first dog, your first hunting dog. Great question. I grew up in uh, southern Utah, and I chased a lot of gambles quail. And those little buggers are notorious for either leaving in tamaracks or cactus. And so we got into those birds, and we would we didn't I didn't have a dog at the time. I was hunting with my dad and my brothers, and we would flush a covey, and we'd shoot a bird, and we'd wound it, and then you know we're trying to do. Uh, the ethical thing and recover that that animal and it's getting in the cactus or it's getting down in the tamaracks where we physically cannot get the bird out and so I had an uncle who had a short hair at the time um, his name is Dale Osborne and brought brought my uncle down to hunt with us one day and she was primarily like a pheasant type dog you know she had been on many desert birds and uh, so she didn't point a lot of birds but man she helped us recover everything we knocked down and so that was like a light bulb switched on in my head. And I said to my dad, I said, I got to have a dog. And I literally uh, got a dog for like, my uncle Dale found a dog up, up here in uh, Southern Utah that was a backyard bred, you know, just a good old boy handshake type deal. I think we paid $50 for the dog and I was 15 and nice. took her home and her name was Lady. And uh, she turned out to be a good dog. I put a lot of time into that dog. And I remember when I was, when we first got her home, the first two or three nights, my mom, my mom and dad were a little skeptical on me getting a bird dog, right? Um, just for the fact that I was a young man and I hadn't proven nothing. So, so the first night the dog starts crying and it's in the middle of the night. My mom comes to me. She's like, that dog's not going to be able to stay here if you can't. So I went and grabbed <laughs> <laughs> we went I, I took her into the washroom and we had this big old like bingy you know those love sack things back then it was just like a big old pillowcase with all this foam in it that my mom had stitched up threw that in the washroom and me and that dog slept on the floor for like the first four nights of her life at my home and uh that way i could keep her quiet so so she wouldn't keep my mom and dad up all night that's awesome man that's awesome tell us about that dog and you know, where it took you and spurred the inspiration to become who you are. She, she didn't, she would point pretty good and retrieve pretty good. She didn't have the best nose. She couldn't, uh, you know, she couldn't win a bird out there at 20, 30 yards. So I had to, I had to work extra hard to get things out of her. Um, so she taught me how to work and I, and, and I had learned that already from other, you know, other things in my life, but, she, 
I, I was lucky enough to have uh, some gentlemen that were part of the Southern Utah Pointing Dog Club, and my uh, one of my other uncles uh, asked one of those gentlemen if I could come out and be a part of. You know, I could come out and ask some questions or whatever. And I had two two gentlemen that would actually pick me up on Saturday morning when I was 15 years old and take me out there to their club. And uh, we would spend that every two or three Saturdays a month, we'd go out there and those gentlemen took time to take a young man out there and say, hey, this is how you teach a pointing dog to point. This is how you teach him to retrieve. And so I'm forever in debt to those two gentlemen. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. And so that kind of cut the learning curve way down for me. Sure. And so we, we try to, you know, that's part, part of my inspiration of, of, of doing this online thing and trying to share what I can with everybody else is because there were two guys that took the time. Yeah. Absolutely. And so when, yeah, you know how you were saying you were bird dogging across the country and sleeping on pro trainers couches and just trying to get all the information you could. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I was kind of in the same boat and I was lucky to find some mentors that said, Hey, yeah, come on, man, let's go. And, uh, you know, they, they taught me how to train dogs. That's so cool. That, I mean, that, that is what it's all about. I, I get a lot of questions and I kid around earlier about, you know, I want to be a pro trainer messages and, you know, the number one thing I, recommend to people is you know you got to do it you got to go work for somebody you have to join a a retriever club or a pointing dog club or a navda chapter and you got to be willing to throw birds and plant birds and you know clean kennels and just be a sponge and and learn because you can do one dog you can do two dogs and have an idea of what you're doing but until you've done a hundred Right. You know, there there's so much to learn. And then the other kicker is it is hard work and it is it's kinda like being a farmer. There's always tasks to do and jobs to do other than just training a dog. And you wouldn't know that until you did it. And you don't have to quit your job to to find that out. You you can go and work for somebody and figure out is this my passion and build your confidence and build your knowledge base through mentorship. And so, you know, for me, it's go join a club, you know, and, and, or go work for a pro, even if you can only work Saturdays, right? Like even if you, you have a day job or you're in college, go give your Saturdays to this person and and learn. And what else would you suggest people do? You know, I was 15, 16 years old at the time. um, And I would get my, I would talk my dad into taking me out there and running my dog in these uh they at the time the club had what they call a fun hunt so it wasn't really uh an akc or a sanctioned event by any club it was just all a bunch of good old boys getting together and and timing their dogs and seeing how many birds and this and that so as a young man i would volunteer to be the bird boy and i was out there hustling man packing bird bags and planting birds and just watching these guys run their dogs and asking them questions and getting involved and I, for me, I'm a visual learner. If somebody can take me out and show me something, I can retain it and I can understand it so much better. You know, I was reading every book I could get my hands on. I was reading Gun Dog Magazine, Pointing Dog Journal, and I was um, I had a uh, Larry Mueller had a. <laughs> I got the Pointing Dog Journal for a little while, and uh, 
I bought a book out of there to teach my dog. And the, and the way I based <laughs> the way I picked that book is because it was the cheapest book in the pointing dog journal. <laughs> <laughs> you are a dog trainer. That's how it goes. For thirty dollars to buy the book, right? And that's why that's why I bought that one. Not the, <laughs> that's not, great. Uh, but I learned a lot of good things from that book, and you know, since then. Uh, back back to your question. Get involved, right? Show up. I think that's what it's all about. Show up, be humble, and say, "Man, what can I do for the club this weekend? I don't I don't have a dog that's ready to compete. Can I be the bird boy? Can I run dogs around? You know, can I help with the gallery? Can I help with burgers? Whatever it is that you can do to contribute. And once they see that you're there for the right reasons, man, they're the bird dog people are phenomenal, and they will. They will give you everything they have. They'll That's give you the cool. shirt off their back. They'll help you any way they can. That's cool. Do you run your dogs in tests and trials? I did for a number of years. Um, unfortunately, out here in the West, uh, I, I preferred an AKC hunt test because we were competing against a standard and not against politics. <laughs> and so, oh, man, we just don't have the, we don't have the, the interest as much anymore. So I live in, like I was telling you, in southern Utah, to get to a hunt test, it's 8, 10, 12-hour drive for one test, and it's just not its not economical for a young man with four kids and a wife to, to travel 12 hours to go to a single event and try to title a dog. It's just, yeah. you guys out there can find events in three to four hours from your house and run a double-double or a triple event, and we just we just don't have the interest anymore. I got you. But I did. I did compete for years, and it was a blast. I loved it. What did you compete in? Mostly hunt tests. So we ran for senior hunt tests, master, junior. We would title dogs on the AKC. Gotcha. So uh, on this podcast, I would say I'm going to go 70-30 that people are retriever you know, industry on or retriever yeah. community. So what is the difference between – and they I've explained it thoroughly – um, so if they haven't listened, go back, <laughs> go, and, go, listen to all <laughs> go listen to every single podcast and I'll cover what our retriever, junior, senior sure. master is. But can you explain for people who don't know the pointing AKC test? It's, it's the same names, but, but you have to do different things. Can you kind of run through that for me? Yeah. In its simplest form, a junior hunter basically has to show that he can go out and search for game. Um, and handle at a certain level, you know, come when you call and kind of move with you through the field. Not a very high expectation at a junior level. Uh, it's been a while since I've competed. I can't even, I don't think you even have to point a bird. I just think he has to, you know, if he gets into the bird field, for example, and shows some interest and his tail gets moving and he acts like he's hunting, then, um, you know, maybe he'll point or flash point or, you know, it's not, not much there. At the senior level, that dog has to, point a bird hold point till you go up and flush the bird they have to be steady to flush they have to retrieve uh and they have to handle you know they have to and if they get called back for a recall um you have to go out and actually do a do a retrieve in a recall then you know the dog has to have all the manners in order master hunter in its simplest form he has to do everything perfect and you can't really talk to the dog you you can't you can't say whoa you can't, uh, the dog has to honor. I think that was a big one back, you know, when we were competing, a lot of guys 
your dog was established point and or his dog would establish point your dog then has to come up and honor that point which what honor means is if my dog's on point and your dog comes over and sees my dog he has to freeze he has to stand stop and then he has to watch and not move his feet while my dog that pointed goes out there and uh, works that bird. You know, they flush it, they shoot it, he retrieves it, and your dog has to stand. And then uh, until the until the judge asks, asks you to release that dog. Very cool. Did you dabble in any NAVDA? Uh, no, I have not done a lot of NAVDA. Um, you know, I'm a little bit familiar with what they do. The great, you know, I think it's a great, the one thing that I really like about NAVDA is their natural ability stuff. You know, when I first started going across the country and looking at all these pedigrees, I was like, ah, what do you do? That dog's got a natural ability, 112 or out of, you know, 109 out of 112, what do you do? But now looking back eight years, I would say, hey man, that means that dog can retrieve and work game and work fur and use his nose. I'm more concerned about what his natural ability is than what, you know, what we turned him into, gotcha. what we molded him into. Right. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, I've, I, I've, I think I, I really like that they are testing young, young dogs for just flat natural ability. Yeah. So I've done, I've, I've just literally dabbled in it. I ran one dog in a utility test and I, trained another dog and his owner ran him in a natural ability test. Um, and I like, I really like the program, man. I, I think in the grand scheme of things, the kicker is get outside with your dog, work them, build the relationship with your dog, have fun doing it, learn as you go. And these events are the off season for the big game, which is hunting season. And so whether you run AKC pointing hunt tests or retriever tests or NAVDA or NARA or HRC, whatever your game is, it gives you an off season goal. It gives you a place to be around people who'd like the same things you like and get out there and do it and learn. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I have a gentleman that, uh, his name's Ken Ross and he's out in Pennsylvania and he, just like three weeks ago, he messaged me. He's like, man, what am I going to do in the off season? And I told him all the things that you and I have been talking about. Well, then he sends me a picture like four days later. He says, well, we found this dock diving competition. We're going to throw this short hair in here and see what she does. <laughs> and I said, nice. go for it, man. I mean, you're around a bunch of guys. So she goes out there and she, her first jump is like six feet. That's <laughs> the coax her off. I mean, it's literally like, come on, please jump, please jump. Then the next jump's like 13 feet. And then this last weekend, she won the freaking thing. She jumped like 19-something, and I don't know. I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, she's leaving the dock like three feet early, dude. So when we get that down, and then just this last weekend, she won again, and uh, she jumped like 21-something, and I was like, nice, dude. That's (laughs) pretty cool. (laughs) But the bottom line is just get out and go, right? Just go find. There's people out there that you can learn from and get involved in and Make new friends, and it's awesome. That's funny. That is really cool. So I have a minor funny story about dog diving. <laughs> <laughs> so my first dog, his name's Buck, and I mean he's he's a good dog. He's a badass, right? Like he would dive into the ponds, and I mean he had a good leap. 
So I go to the New York State Outdoor Expo, and I set up this booth with all my gear, big banner, and I paid extra, (laughs) extra to be near the dock diving because I wanted all the dogs and I wanted all the people to be at my booth and see me and my dog, you know, crush it and then come over to the booth and buy stuff. Right. Dude, he went negative one foot. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I mean, he, he like... He was full tilt, full tilt, hit the brakes, skidded, like, not, he didn't hind end over tea kettle, like, tip into the water, but it was like, you gotta be kidding me. Oh, shit. Oh, it, was, it wasn't not embarrassing, we'll, we'll say that. <laughs> yeah, it was so embarrassing, and I just, I hung my head, I'm like, man. Back to the booth. Back to the booth. <laughs> back to the booth. <laughs> back to the booth. So, right. yeah. Now, this is the dog that you named that you kind of started the whole thing with right yeah exactly yeah he's the one that founded it and traveled all over with me and yeah he's a good dog i I listened to your poem today and i'm thoroughly impressed man Uh, the the mess the message that you're sending out there uh we just need simply we need more of that we need more people like you that are talking about what really matters and what it comes down to and Thank you know, you. What, what, what's at the heart and soul is it's the relationship, that bond, the bond that you talk about. Yeah. When you get to that level, you know, a lot of guys come out and they want to work with their dog. And we've put them through our training program. And me and, my, me and that dog work at a level, and I don't have to say a whole lot, right? That dog's reading my body language, and he's reading me, and I'm reading him. And when you get to that level, when you get to that bond, Brother, there's there's nothing better. There's really no. It's just yeah. So it's a partnership. You, you, yeah, and an you got it right on. You got it right on the head, man. Yeah, so. thanks. I I really appreciate it. That that means a lot that you actually cared to think about it like that. So thank you. It's what we founded the company on, and what we stand for. And you know, part of me back in the day, as bad as it sounds, like I was against pro training. I was like, no, you need to put your nose to the grindstone, read the books and spend the time. And, you know, you can still go and work with people and learn, obviously. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there's nothing better than, you know, the screw ups are your screw ups. The wins are your wins. And and I'm a firm believer in training your own dog. Now that I do it for a living, you know, the way I look at it is not everybody has the time. Not everybody has the patience. Not everybody has the fields and ponds and, you know, whatever, you know, it may be that stands in their way of doing it. And so I'm able to and you're able to give them that relationship that they probably wouldn't have had with the dog. But I still think hands down, if you have the time and you're dedicated training your dog and taking it hunting and seeing it do what you put all that time into there really is no better feeling. I'm sure when I have kids someday and they're like kicking ass at a sport or something, I'll be like, yeah, that's, that's better than training a dog. But right now this is what I got. And I think it's fantastic. You know, that's kind of full circle for us. I'm with you. Uh, you know, that's kind of why we're coming back to this online resource, because if I can give you the tools and the knowledge to empower you to train your own dog, the bond that you have with your dog will be greater and you'll actually get there faster because when you let's be honest, when a dog comes into the kennel, there's, there's some transition period there, right? It's like, Hey dog, you've been sitting on the couch being a 
couch potato for three months of your life, six months, a year of your life, and now you're going to come out here and go to work, and that dog's like, I don't know if I like you yet. <laughs> and you're like, hey, it's time to go to work, dude. Yeah. It's, it's suck it up time, you know? And uh, anyway, if if we could empower those people somehow to start doing some of the foundation training, man, you know, the bond that they would have and the progress. It, how nice would it be to have a kennel where you're finishing dogs instead of, teaching them to do simple things like sit and it's like yeah. wow man i i really so yeah i'm with you coming coming back to that i think um you know we've got to figure out a way to empower these guys that feel like they don't have the time and knowledge sure. to just take five or ten minutes and say hey man let me show you a really simple method and a really simple way that you can watch this on your phone and I guarantee you can do it. 10 minutes a night after work, you can do it. You can find 10 minutes, right? Absolutely. So that's um, that's kind of the the idea there. Yeah. I I think it's incredible. I know we talked a little bit about your your plan and your like passion behind it and it's it's admirable. I think it's really cool. Um but I had a question. You had talked about kind of like dogs honoring other dogs and backing other dogs and everything and I think that's incredible to watch. Um you bet just the the poise of the dogs and the patience and the understanding that like it'll be my turn sometime right is, is just phenomenal and it's like a dog on another level how do you Absolutely. teach a dog to do that some dogs actually do it naturally really they yeah there is some natural there is some natural instinct there where it's like oh crap they're on point and they just instantly point and they instantly honor and it's so it makes your job so nice when they do that. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but I can promise you, no retriever does that. No. Yeah. Right. You're like, oh, I'm a go. You're gonna go. I'm a go. Yeah. <laughs> right. It. I, when I say that, they establish the honor. They don't hold it. You have to teach them to hold it. Right. Sure. They have to finish it. Right. But uh, a lot of that, you know, I, to be realistic, a lot of people that bring their dogs here for training. I would say 70% of those dogs never get to that level. They want a dog that'll go out and hunt and just be their buddy. They want them to point and retrieve and do all the obedience and fundamental stuff. And, and just because of sheer time and cost, they don't pay us to take that dog to that level. Um, do your personal dogs do that? Yeah. Yeah. We, we have them honor one dog will honor another dog. And, And that's kind of the pinnacle, right? That's like the icing on the cake when, when you take three dogs out there in South Dakota and a dog slams on point and the other two are back there like, Oh, slam on the brakes, kicking up dirt, just cranking to stop. And, uh, you know, and then you send your brother up there and he shoots a bird, shoots a sharp tail in front of that front dog. And you're standing back there at the video camera going, yeah, look at us. We're cool. That makes you feel really good. Well, if, if you had my brother, he'd miss that sharp tail. My brother's missed a lot. That's, he missed a lot. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So are your I family? He had, he, he had to upgrade the, from the 870. He's been shooting 870 for a long time. I said, it's time to upgrade to a Benelli, buddy, or or something, man. We got to get you away from we, – we all grew up as young men, you know, shooting 12-gauge 870s because they're freaking indestructible. You can drop them in the pond and pick them up and still shoot the son of a gun. I mean, it just – you can't beat that gun for that's reliability. Awesome. Well, that's exactly where we are. I mean, we had my first 
uh, duck gun was an 870 and it, Same. it rides don't break into my car everyone but it rides in the back seat of my car and it's my training <laughs> gun like allegedly yeah. it, is, <laughs> it is allegedly there yeah. maybe not if it's gone tomorrow i swear i'll find you <laughs> but um i mean that gun it's still back there and it's my training gun and then you know whatever and then kevin just upgraded himself too and so that's gonna. That's another question we always ask people. What do you shoot? What do you like shooting? I have a, a Benelli Ultralight. We do a lot of chucker hunting out here, and there'll be days when you are hunting quail and you hike a lot, man. You cover a lot of country, and when you when you hike eight, ten, twelve miles, and your every ounce counts. I I packed that eight seventy for a lot of years, and that's a heavy heavy cannon, man. Real heavy just, gun. <laughs> it actually has a sling on it and it has some worn spots for my hand we're rubbing on the stock you know it's it's pretty cool but yeah i i prefer the ultralight now i i'm gonna sound like a jerk but i don't is that a autoloader yeah that's yep cool yep good deal it's a real it's a nice gun it is super light uh benelli puts out a great product no doubt and just no no issues right it's yeah. like it shoots yeah it just shoots nice yep do you have any other guns you like to shoot uh trying to think what else i have <laughs> i bought a little tw- a little 20 gauge mossberg for my boy when he was two my wife's like what's that gun for and i said no that's that's for kobe and she's like he's two years old and i said i know he'll grow into it someday you know so yeah. have a he's, got 20 a gauge. <laughs> he's got a year yeah he's got a year my wife has a t- her her twenty gauge, um, but between those two guns, really, I, I have an over and under, and I don't even remember the name of it. Some no name brand that I picked up and traded with some guy somewhere. Nice. Uh, I'm just not. I don't know. I'm a practical guy. I own I own two rifles and one shotgun and a handgun. I'm just. I wish I had time and money to have thirty guns in the in the bay, you know, in the safe downstairs, but. Yeah. I just not. I just don't have. Well, I'm, I'm big on nostalgia. So, like, my first gun was the 870, and my second shotgun was my Browning Satori over under that I got used, and it's scratched, it's dented, there's bent ribs, uh, the bluing's going away on it, and right. dude, I, I mean. You couldn't pay me. Someone asked if I was going to get another one. I'm like, excuse me? Like, you bite your tongue. <laughs> like, um, yeah. You know, it's just, it's cool getting a new gun and stuff, but no, nah, there's something special about the one that when you grab it, you know you're going to knock birds down, and it's it's got stories right. with it. Right. Uh, you mentioned you've got some rifles. What do you do? Any other kind of hunting, or are those kind of just fun, like plinking at the? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, I grew up mule deer hunting uh, right here. So I live in in Beaver, Utah. Okay. And uh, that's where my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family both are from here. So it's kind of like moving home. Nice. And uh, there's mule deer hunting. There's uh, elk hunting. We hunt elk and mule deer and. Uh, mountain lions and black bears all right here above my house really that's unreal so tell me about um mountain lion hunting i mean do you do you have dogs for that too yeah i kind of have an addiction you do so we haven't gotten into this one so you're you're just an (laughs) all-around 
that's a whole other conversation, man. Yeah, about, that's a good point. Uh, that might have to be. Yeah, that is a whole other conversation, right? About six years ago, I have a really good friend that, that's an outfitter, okay. a big game outfitter with, for hounds. And I started going with him to some trees, and I was like, man, I should get, you know, if I'm going to come up here and hike all the way in here on this mountain lion and three feet of snow, and it's going to take four and a half hours to hike all the way up in here, I might as well have a dog in the game, have some skin in the game. Yeah. So, so I got one dog, and then I got two, and then I got three, and then the next thing you know, I got a whole pack of dogs. I run a pack of hounds. In fact, we caught a bear oh, a week ago right here. Right here, like four miles from my house. No way. Caught so you up. can so you can hunt bears with a with hounds. Then that's you, gotta, you can't do that in New York. No, you guys need to come out. It's it's a it's a whole different thing from bird dogs, right? It's a whole different. It's completely different than gun dogs. It it is addicting though. It's a lot of fun. Um, what uh, what kind of dogs you run for that? Mostly blue tick. Uh, I prefer a blue tick hound. We have some Walker hounds, and then we have some Walker blue tick crosses. Do you do you breed your own for that too? Uh, yeah, I'm starting to. <laughs> <laughs> what do you not do? What do I not do? Man, you got, you got any squirrel fish. dogs I or used, anything too? I used to do it all, man. But I just, I got, I got a wife and kids now, and I have to make money. I can't just screw off all the time. Yeah, so. that's fair. I that don't, I yeah, don't if, agree. If you ever wanted the, if you ever want to see a black bear in a tree or a mountain lion in a tree, come on out. It is, uh, it's an experience, and it's, it is a lot of fun. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. People have no idea the physical condition you have to be in to be a houndsman. I mean, I have a whole level of respect for those men that drop a pack of dogs on the ground, and you just have no idea where you're going to end up. You can be in some of the most ungodly country that you've ever seen in your life. What are your thoughts on all the legislation and and criticisms that like California has for houndsmen and hunting cougars and stuff? I have a good friend that lives up in uh, Oregon, and they've taken away the the pursuit and hunting of mountain lions, and they literally are getting overrun. Good. So it is becoming a it's becoming a problem there. They have lions that are mountain lions that are coming in and taking people's pets. Um, they're not. They have. You'll see encounters on social and on the internet where the the lion is simply not afraid of humans. And so my my personal opinion is everything just needs to be balanced, right? I don't I don't see any reason. Here's one thing about houndsmen, a, a good houndsman, most good houndsmen, they really don't harvest that much game. They are more concerned about the thrill of the chase and watching those dogs figure that out than they are about shooting an animal, harvesting an animal. And if you look at the studies that hounds, houndsmen are very particular. They're not going to shoot a female uh, lion or a female bear, you know, especially one that's, that's, that's wet, that has cubs or has kittens. So they're, very, they're able to do two things. They're able to be very selective in their harvest. And they're able to manage better than anything out there. I mean, if you look at the studies that the biologists do, they collar these mountain lions. They use hounds to catch the mountain lion. They tranquilize the mountain lion to put a collar on there. And then they track that data and utilize that data. And if you talk to those biologists, this is the most effective, in, most effective and humane way for us to get a collar on this lion. It literally has no, no ill effect on the animal. And so, yeah, there's obviously there's some trashy 
crazy hounds out there, but yeah, for the most part, they're really, really, really uh, effective at what they do. So I, I, I made a, a, I don't know, a connection in my brain when you were saying how, like, actually, houndsmen are very passionate and they, you know, don't necessarily just tag everything that they put up in a tree and it's more about the dogs and it reminds me of you know everything that you have talked about and that bob and i talk about all the time is it's it's about the dogs like you don't go out hunting because you you have to shoot your limit of ducks like it's a damn good time but it's more fun to just you know you you drive home from the hunt and you're like remember that one retrieve that the dog had you're talking about the dog and how it was taking a great line and you're doing all the hand signals and you're so proud of it and all the time and energy that went into it and you're talking more about that than like yeah what you know what's on the tailgate that you're skinning out after you're done you know and I, it's cool to hear that it's not just bird dogs it's anybody who has that connection with the dog yeah yeah really i've cool. literally seen i've literally seen those houndsmen put their own life on the line repel repel off of hundreds of feet of sheer cliff with a simple rope to retrieve their dog that got hung up and it's just yeah they, those there's some some guys out there that definitely have a love for their dogs more cool. even as much or more so than than maybe the bird dog community that's cool why uh we're gonna keep digressing into this for a second but uh what makes the blue tick your favorite and then what are the, I mean, I feel like I kind of know the answer, but I'm really interested to hear your uh, perspective on the two different breeds and what strengths that they have towards the pursuit of game. So I, I started off running a lot of walker dogs and out here in the West, we cover a typical bear race will be miles and miles long and we cover lots of different terrain and, and a walker's feet will just get shredded. His feet will not hold up. He has a, typically a pink pad and it's just going to get hammered. They, just, they don't have, um, the blue tick has a little tighter foot and typically a dark black pad. And that just, when it comes down to the, when it boils down to the biggest reason why two reasons why grit and good feet. No way. All right. I'll, I'll give you my answer. And it was different sure. than yours. Cause I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Completely uneducated. Completely uneducated. <laughs> I like the color better. <laughs> no, my thought was my understanding of the two different breeds is the blue ticks were a little bit slower and methodical and easier to maybe follow on foot versus the walkers were faster, bigger running dogs. And unless you had, you know, truck hunting and like following them on GPS and stuff like that, like they'd get out ahead of you. And, you know, I, that was my thought, at least when, when I'm talking to guys who run coons and stuff, that's their thought. If, right. if they're foot hunting, they prefer the blue tick and maybe a red bone over the tree walker. Yeah, and and when you come to coons, there's probably some truth to that. In inside of the blue tick bloodline, just like inside of the German shorthair bloodline, I have a lot of people call me and say, "Hey, I'm going to get a German shorthair because I read online that it does A B C," and I'm <laughs> like, "Oh man." I, I hear you, I feel you, but let me let me tell you real quick. Inside of the German Shorthair bloodline, there are gentlemen that have bred for decades for a dog 
that they they follow with a walking horse and they get on and they cover country and that dog is burn turning and burning them. He's gone, right? And then there's this guy over here that's breeding for. He lives in Minnesota and he wants to hunt waterfowl as well. So he's got a 72 pound short hair that can break through ice. And then you got Jared Moss out here in Utah who wants a dog that's 50 pounds that can live with his four kids and then still go hunting. There is a very large spectrum inside of that breed and people, they just get generalized down to ba, 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 ba. And so same thing with the blue ticks, man, there's been some blue tick breeders out there that have got the speed and they've kept the feet and they've kept the nose and it's, they're just rock solid. Just inside the Walker breed, there's, Hey, there's this and this and this, and just like inside of, I'm sure, I'm sure the lab world's the same way, you know? Oh, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. That's a awesome perspective, actually, that I took the generalization and stuff and, and ran with it. But, you know, inside that generalization, there's extremes on every end. There is. Unfortunately, in, in, and I trained uh, uh, some labs that were filled bred. Man, I had a, I had a horned hunting dog in my kennel. I, I bought him because I wanted to hunt horns with him. And he was awesome. We'd go find elk sheds and deer sheds with him. But that son of a gun would not had no off switch, right? He had more energy than any short hair I've ever seen. I mean, he would literally pace a, a kennel, and he would not sit. You could put 50 pounds of dog food in there. He would eat all 50 pounds, and the next day he would have not gained one ounce. I mean, just drive through the roof. And then you look over here, my buddy's got a lab that won't even get off the front porch. Sure. <laughs> so when people when people say I'm getting a lab because of ABC, I'm like, oh man, we got to talk about breeding. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, and that's where you pick the you pick the litter for what right. you want. Exactly, man. Do your homework. Go find the guy that's breeding what you want, and then you're in. You know, it's yep. not it's not about hey, I'm going to get the Boykin Spaniel because he does this. No, 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 no. What, what do you, what's your end game? What, you know, reverse engineer this. What do you want at the end? Yeah. And then let's find the guy that's producing that and let's plug into his system. And then you're going to be way, way ahead. I, I think that was a, well said. That was, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I got a bunch of questions for you. So we're, we're going to, we're going to fire away a few here. So, um, what you do lots of different types of hunting that I guess I didn't even know about, which is really cool. Um, yeah. Do you, do you have any cool taxidermy? I do. I have, uh, I actually have a mountain lion and a mule deer. And then I have, when I was a young kid, my dad would take me uh, large mouth bass fishing. Nice. So same. that's what I grew up doing between like ages. Oh, I don't know. My dad was a big fisherman. That's what I did forever. So, I, I do have a little bit of taxidermy. Uh, I have a mountain lion rug, and I wonder how it. much a plane ticket to Utah costs. <laughs> Come on out, boys! We'd love really to have cool. you. We'd, we'd love to have you anytime. That'd be yeah. sweet. Appreciate that. I, I wouldn't even, you know, the kicker. My girlfriend always rags on me for driving, but like. I wouldn't even want to fly. I'd want to drive all the way to you with my truckload <laughs> of dogs, and we could train for a couple of days and get it done. Yes, because that's like yes. it's not the same without the crew, you know, and the dogs, I and, know. and seeing what you do and showing you what I do, and and experiencing right. that together. So I would probably haul ass, you know, with a bunch of dogs and overtake. We're here. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> we're here. Hope you got an airing yard. Yeah, I do. Just let me know. We got a big old kennel. Nice. I. uh 
you know, it's a gentleman the other day asked me, he says, how many hours does it take you to get here from here to South Dakota? I'm like 18. And he looks at me like, Oh my geez. And I'm like, well, dude, I take that trailer right there with 12 dogs in it. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not about, Hey, can I do 96 miles an hour down this road? It's about, you got to stop in about four hours and let these dogs there. You know, it's, yeah. it's about the journey. Yeah, absolutely. Man. You can put that on a t-shirt. So I can Could feel you when you say, I, I would like to drive out there and bring my dogs out there. Cause it's about, it's, that's what it's about. Yeah. So you, you've done a, a whole bunch of different hunting. Um, is there anything, I mean, man, is there anything left on your, on your bucket list that you want to go out and chase after? Um, yeah, there, there are some, I would like to go to, I think, uh, Alaska and hunt ptarmigan behind my dogs because it's kind of like the pointing dog. Apparently from what I've been told and read, you know, there's hundreds of those birds up there and they're dumber than rock salt and they just, <laughs> they stand there and let your dogs do this un- unconceivable, you know, point. 20 or 30 birds and just have them. I, I think it would be cool to go experience that. Cause I have yet to be into Alaska. So. That would be really cool. That'd be really, really cool. Actually. Yeah. Now, that I, now that you just said that, I'm like, huh, how far is my drive from Syracuse to Utah to Alaska? It's far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's far. That's yeah. really cool. Um, what, uh, when you're not hunting and, and traveling, do you have any other like, dog related passions so you you said that you don't um i don't know i guess run any tests with them right now but are you doing anything else? yeah i don't i I don't field trial anymore or hunt tests anymore you know we um (laughs) i i think i heard this on the podcast the other day i think it was yours or the hunting dog podcast where they're talking about when you become a professional dog trainer you your hunt time gets really condensed because you're <laughs> you're getting everybody else's stuff ready. Yeah, they all wait till the last minute and they're like, "Hey, dude, any any chance you could slip my dog in for a little forty uh, day course before I go hunting in South Dakota?" Oh God, I got one of those. So, now. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's good. Yeah. It's not even July, man. That's right. But, no, you're right. I, I'm good with it. That's funny. No, it probably was ours. I forget who we were talking to, but it is, man. It's. You know, people think you hunt all the time, and it's like, well, eh. Yeah, I might squeak out from – I I went turkey hunting Sunday, and I was up a full hour before my other buddies because I had to take care of dogs and then met them hunting and then hauled ass back to the dogs, and it's like, yeah, Sunday. <laughs> when, you said, when you said it's like having a farm, my wife gives me that all the time. I didn't know we were going to have a dairy – yeah. We can't even leave town. We can't even go anywhere because you either got puppies on the ground or some guy's coming in to look at a dog or you're bringing a new dog in for training. And, uh, yeah, it's, it is, it's a very time, time becomes, yeah. Yeah. We don't have a job, a man. We don't have a job. We have a lifestyle. There's no doubt. It's a it full blown lifestyle. And if you love it and you eat it, sleep it, breathe it, it there's nothing better if you're doing it because you think you're going to make a ton of money, go home. Go home. <laughs> if you're doing it because you think it's easy and you can be outside all day, yeah, you can be outside all day, but it ain't easy. And then, you know, again, part of the business is managing clients, managing expectations, shitty dogs. I mean, shoveling dog poop. Shoveling uh, I dog have, poop. I have, 
yeah, I have people tell me, oh, you got, you're living the dream. And I'm like, come on, let's go. Let's go shovel. <laughs> Grab a shovel, two brother. And a half hours. Yeah. Let's, yep. Yeah. And then you'll see how glorious this job really is. Yeah. Those it, are the things you don't put on social media. I, no. An Instagram live of me. Here we are. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Bucket. I'm going to do it tomorrow with my full five gallon bucket of dog <laughs> shit. Be like, smell a gram. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. There's. There's a lot to it, right? And there's and when you're dealing with animals, it's always like, man, he's just off today. I hope he's feeling okay. Better check on this. Better check on that. And it's just. Oh, you couldn't hit the nail oh. on the head, man. It, it, That's also something that I don't think people realize is like, I've got their family member in my county. Oh, yeah. And yep. if somebody has the runs, it's like, well. Yep. It could be this, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. It's like the whole WebMD, like I could have cancer or I could have uh, <laughs> a runny nose, you know? And yep. it's like, no, he's probably okay, but, you know, right. that worry is, is real too. But, yeah, it's funny that, yeah, it's funny. There's so much to it. So much There's to a lot. It, but it's fun. Um, now, Jared, is there a, a dog breed that maybe you'll have someday when you have – not 20 something dogs time yeah maybe maybe some <laughs> yeah. time maybe less shit on your shovel uh right. bucket list breed yeah you know. dude i i really want i really want one of those uh little boykin spaniels because i think they are i think they look cool but i love their um i love the intensity in the field and that little just tail and dude they're like little balls of rock rocket fuel man and they're just bouncing all over the place bing, 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 and happy they just they just look when you see one you just look at it and like you're happy yeah. you're a happy little dog man you make me happy just because you're everywhere and so i'm i'm getting one of them dude just just to have I've just got, to have be my buddy and go hunting if you you or our listeners scroll back a couple episodes we had my friend blaine uh, Blaine Tarnecki down in Georgia, um, he's literally the Boykin whisperer of our country. He's he's the number one guy in the country. He's got the number one dog in the country. I mean, he's the real deal for Boykin. So when, when you pull that awesome. bucket list trigger, I'll get you in I'll touch be, with him to get you the right one. Yeah, I'll be calling you, man, saying, hey, yeah, he, steer me in the right direction. It's unbelievable. that The other kicker is – talking business that niche breed man the the small breeds and i don't mean physical stature like the smaller breeds where if you made a name for yourself you know in that breed and and you have the best dogs in the country he has the most hunting retriever champion boykins of anyone in the country and if you dated back 10 years there was like five and he does 12 in a weekend you know it's just unbelievable that what he's elevated that breed to and what people's expectations of that breed to it's not to digress but anyways you can't dispute that right no i mean bottom line is the guy's getting it done yeah so yeah hard yeah that's the kind right that's the kind of guy that you want to call up on the phone and say hey uh what's your address i'm sending you a check in the mail well it might be two years before you get one of my dogs that's fine yeah i just i just want to get on the list because i yeah that's absolutely right all right man well listen we've been going for an hour and 15 minutes and it's flown by because it's been a joy and uh, my pleasure and kevin's pleasure to to chat with you about your dogs and your experiences and just all the cool stuff you've got going on so do me a solid 
all of our followers are going to want to look you up. Where can they find you? Um, tell them a little bit about your YouTube program and, and when they can expect that and how they can get in touch if they're looking for a badass German short hair or American Britney Spaniel. Or probably, they're not even a Britney Spaniel anymore. You can't even say that, Br- can you? Yeah. You can't say Spaniel. I, I know I said Spaniel the other day and somebody hammered me and I'm like, you guys get over it. I don't care what it Take says it on the paper. Damn. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, I think the easiest way to connect with us is Instagram. That's where we're most active is on Instagram. Uh, we're on Facebook as well. We have a website, bestgundogs.com. Um, I think we're rolling out slowly uh, the online course. We're testing that. We're learning that. So we would ask your patience with that. And then, you know, um, and that will be available through Instagram as well. You'll just be able to drop on the link and, and get more help there. Awesome. When's think, the estimated think, time for the? I do have I have two of the I have the uh, two little foundation programs already out. So if you wanted to start your pointing dog the right way with, um, you know, from like eight weeks to four months, that's already out. And uh, message me, or send me an email, or give me a phone call, and I can send you the link for that. And then, and uh, and I can send it to you guys. You can drop it in the show notes. I, and then we also have a mini course that is like the four foundational things that you need for any pointing dog, right? He needs to be able to come go with you through the field. He needs to move with you through the field. He needs to recall. He needs to heal. And um, we need to start building a stand, stand command, which turns into woe. So that, those two fun, fundamental stuff, the, the puppy stuff's there. It's available. You can grab it. Is that on your website? Uh, right now it is not the, the official best gun dogs website is being re revamped. (laughs) Again, it's it's always rolling. It's over. It's getting an overhaul. Good. So good for you. So message, message me on uh, Instagram or Facebook or send me an email and I can get you any of that information. Cool. And it's at best gun dogs. That's correct. Yep. Jared, man, thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, loved talking with you and I'm excited for the future for your kennel and your dogs and the friendship that we've developed, man. Thank you so much for spending the night with us here, buddy. Yeah. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate the message. You know, when it, when it comes down to it, it is about that bond that you talk about in your little poem. If, uh, if you guys haven't read that poem, um, that Bob puts out there in his very first episode, scroll back listen to that episode again and uh, you remember who you're really talking to a guy that's got a genuine heart so i appreciate your guys' time as well thanks thanks man. kevin thank you all right bud you, you have a great night good. thank you take care hey join our community if you enjoy the show if you enjoy our youtube if you enjoy instagram it's like buying me and kevin a beer join patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters the link is in the description click that link join the community we've got tons of great videos tons of great content and you can ask me more questions so join it enjoy it we did it for you and you're helping us produce a show so thank you so much to that community get in get out let's roll patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters
Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.